Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. So welcome everyone to another episode of NAPO's podcast, Stand Out. I'm Claire Kumar, Productivity Catalyst, and thrilled to be your host. As you know, I'm thrilled for every episode. Today, I'm really excited because we're talking about something that doesn't often get talked about. I am talking about, you know, really appealing to those who are interested in becoming a productivity or organizing professional and those of you who are running your own business, really getting in touch with the best way to run that business. You know, we might be calling ourselves entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, but I want to encourage you as my guest today, Jeffrey Shaw will do to talk about yourself as being self-employed. He wants you to be proud of that. And it's not only because you're doing great things in serving others, you're also a great part of the economy. And this really needs to be recognized. And it's one of the parts of the economy, which we've witnessed this year, that grows, especially when we're under economic challenge. So you're an important piece. And what's been missing is really a lot of guidance as to how to be self-employed and how to create that business and life that you love together. A lot of us are kind of winging it and figuring out things on the fly. Now, Jeffrey's latest book, The Self-Employed Life, Business and Personal Development Strategies That Create Sustainable Success, is a fantastic resource for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It is part practical marketing guide and part spiritual guide to creating that well-integrated business and personal life. So let me give you a little bit of information about Jeffrey. Early in life, Jeffrey saw an opportunity to make some money by going door to door selling eggs. Now, he didn't just take the eggs and take them door to door. He thought about this. He thought, I can mark them up and I'm going to make these authentic farm fresh eggs by leaving a little bit of chicken poop on one or two eggs in the mix. So this, all of a sudden, now you can get an idea of Jeffrey's creative spirit, his love and just natural knack for being an entrepreneur, which he has been for his whole life. He moved through entrepreneurial roles to land on what he does now. He is a speaker. He has a fabulous TED Talk, which you must look up. He is the author of his first book, Lingo, really teaches you to embrace how to speak with your clients and have that language of connection land with them. And he is, of course, the author of The Self-Employed Life and a podcast by the same name with 30,000 listeners per month. So where it's a blessing for me to be talking to Jeffrey today. I, I can learn a lot every time we interact. So and as well, if you're lucky enough, you can work with Jeff as a business coach for small business. So always keen on self-development. Jeffrey has been learning his whole life. This is evidenced by his admission to reading an hour every morning with a couple of chai and I kind of do the same thing. Maybe this is why I love you so much. And also by testing out what works. So I really wish I had seen you, Jeffrey, as a young boy adopting that power pose, which you described was somewhere between Superman and RuPaul. So <laughs> Jeffrey believes, and I quote, being in business is not a position of authority. 
but rather a privilege to serve and contribute to the greater good. Welcome so much, Jeffrey. Oh my gosh, that was such a fantastic intro. That was my life in a few minutes. I love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, it's an inspiring life, which you pepper through the book. You share a lot about your own journey and the lessons that you've learned. And then you also bring in some fantastic influence, like quotes from Jim Rohn and Chip Conway or Conley, I think it was. Conley, yeah. Conley. Conley. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really peppered with wonderful insights. You spend a lot of time exploring mindset which is really important. And I loved in particular the point you made about having a ritual around trust. I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about that and how it fits into what you call the self-employed ecosystem, which it mirrors an ecosystem in nature, right? With its elements of energy, water, nutrients, living organisms, oxygen. So can you dive in and help us you know, understand how trust fits into this, this wonderful self-employed ecosystem? Sure. You know, I think inherently when you're self-employed, you inherently think that everything's up to you. And let's face it, we self-employed folks tend to be controlling because it's maybe our name on the business, or maybe it is, you know, we are the forefront person. So we take such high responsibility that that I think our trust inherently gets weakened without our realizing it because we are inadvertently training ourselves to behave in a way like everything's up to us. It will only turn out right if we do it. And the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And whether we believe we have strong faith, we have trust. You know, I will often point out to self-employed business owners who, who promise me like, no, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of trust. And I say, huh, then why is it you behave in a way that the weight of the world is on your shoulders? What I'm seeing in your behavior is that everything's up to you and you're carrying the stress level, like everything is on your shoulders, as I said, and, and you're coming to me for more success in your life. So here's my challenge. My challenge is if you're going to behave as if the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you have to understand that what you will see in your life is limited by how much you can carry. But what if you trust? What if you trust in forces bigger than yourself who can help carry some of that weight? And Claire, admittedly, trust has been my biggest factor. I've always been just so independent-minded that it's all up to me. And as there's a bit of advice, the only bit of advice I've ever received from my father. My father died when I was pretty young. Man of very few words. We didn't have too many conversations in the years that we shared a home. But the one thing he stayed to me, which really stuck with me, is that he said, no one's going to care about your life as much as you do. Say that one again. Say that one. Again. No one is going to care about your life as much as you do. Now, to be honest with you, he said it in a tone that as a child felt to me like you're alone, kid. <laughs> it wasn't said in a very favorable way, but me being who I am, I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? And what I took from that was if no one's going to care about my life as much as I do, then I better take care of myself, which is why I became self-employed. I'm like, all right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see to it that I have an income. I'm going to see to it that, that I make my own way. So I've always been so independent minded that trust has been a challenge for me. Because if you inherently, if someone, if you know, your father told you that no one's going to care about your life as much as you do, then what's, who's the trust? What's the trust? Yeah. It was my word of the year a couple of years ago, because I realized I wasn't trusting. The importance and, of it. And yeah. well, and you have to be careful with whom, in what you trust. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. but you have to trust because it's too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, to it's, point. what I'm encouraging people to do is trust in something bigger than yourself. If that's your God, your spirit, your universe, whatever you want to call it. And one of the exercises I propose is to create a trust mantra. And my trust mantra, which I will share, it's personal, personal to me, but I'll share it. My trust mantra is that when it looks like the world is falling apart, to trust that it's falling together for something bigger than I can imagine. And to really believe that, you know, because we all go through times when it looks like the world is falling apart, like things that just do not make sense. But to really, it has changed my life to be able to lean into the trust that I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is falling apart. I don't know why I'm hitting resistance, but I trust that what's being created is bigger than I ever could have imagined because my imaginations, all of our imaginations are limited by our predisposed definitions of how big we think we can be. And maybe the world thinks I'm bigger than I am. Maybe the universe thinks I'm bigger than I am. And I'm going to trust that that's a possibility. Oh, so, so many things came up for me in, in listening to you there. Number one is that in the coach training that I completed about five years ago, that helped me step into not so being attached to an outcome and sort of being trusting that things were going to evolve. This is going to be a journey and there's no point being so precise and defining what we're expecting because all kinds of untold wonderful things that can happen that you just didn't even see coming. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I can tell you the most profound story about that. I'll try to keep it brief is that I lost somebody many years ago, very important to me, my yoga teacher of 13 years. So when you spend, you know, 13 years every Thursday morning with the same person at 8am in New York City, which was like an hour and 15 minute commute for me, like that's commitment. And she, she got a very rare form of cancer which challenges everything, right? Because we think if we evolved to being higher spiritual beings, if she literally has done yoga her entire life, I studied Iyengar yoga, which is a very specific type of yoga. Her mother brought Mr. Iyengar to the United States to introduce Iyengar yoga to the United States. So her lineage was amazing. Like it challenges your understanding of spirituality when somebody like that gets cancer. It's like, oh, isn't your, isn't your enlightened body supposed to be free of that? which of course is not true. And she had, it was extremely rare form, like the abdominal wall. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And it was taking her life very quickly. And she very quickly couldn't necessarily teach, but sporadically she would. And one day she came to class. She had the strength to teach, have, of course, having been through radiation, which again, in the spiritual community, in the yoga community, people are like, well, will she choose Western medication or will she believe that her spirituality can heal herself? And she did end up doing chemo. So I had this moment with her after class once. And I said, so Mary, how are you really doing? And she said, Claire, this is so profound. She said to me, I'm learning to walk towards life without being attached to the outcome, right? So she was giving it her all to live and was completely, and I believed her in that moment when she said it completely unattached to the outcome. And that is how I've learned to live every moment since. It's like we can do, and that's actually in an interesting way, Claire, it is the entire basis of my book and why I created the self-employed ecosystem. Because my point is, is that when we become self-employed, everyone thinks they're becoming self-employed because they're going to control their destiny. They're going to control their future. They're going to control their hours, to which I always ask, and how is that going for you? And everybody laughs right? Because it's, it's a myth of entrepreneurship that you're going to control anything when you're entering uncontrollable circumstances. But here's the answer to that. And that's what this book is about. The truth matters. We can't control the world. The only thing we can control is the environment that we set up for the results that we want. 
That's what I teach. The self-employed ecosystem is here is how to create the environment for the results that you want in your life, the results you want in your business. After that, you have to let go. Because if you have created the ultimate perfect environment for the results you want in your life, you can't fault yourself. You can't feel like it's a failure. You can't blame yourself. You have created the best circumstances for what you want. You've manifested it. You've visualized it. What else can you do? Then you can relax and let it unfold. And then, exactly, it's the yeah. relaxation of it. Like I said, I think it's important that we have a sense of control. And we should have control when we're in business for ourselves. What we can control is the environment. What you can control is how you market in a way that is efficient and effective works. What you can control is the environment in which you work to increase your productivity. What you can control are the environment. You can't control the results in an uncontrollable world, but you increase your likelihood of the results you want because of the environment you set up. I love it. And you control the approach you're bringing to this, which is really a powerful perspective and to do with this mindset piece. So I love that. The other thing that I just adore, and I even talked about it in a workshop I gave last week, this sense of, you know, we need to be able to reflect in, I call it tuning in before we lean in, right? And you have a what's going right journal practice that you do, that you do religiously. And can you just give us a, a brief description of what that is? Because I thought it's a power tool for a number of reasons. Yeah, it's it's the only content that's carried from my first book into my second book, because I introduced it in my first book. And I'm like, you know what? It's the best tool I know of, so I'm going to repeat it. And I talked about it. I mean, and I will probably talk about it forever <laughs> because I'm okay with repeating content that works. And you got me talking about it going, I just learned of this perspective and it's so powerful. Yeah. And I think what's, un what's important to understand is how it came about, first of all. So it's a different version of a gratitude journal in a lot of ways. The reason is, is that I... I am somebody who expects results. I will do all the work. I say I will go as woo-woo as anybody, but I don't like to just go around rabbit holes that don't have a positive impact on my life or other people's lives. Actually, I took ownership, if you will, the hashtag, hashtag woo-woo in your wallet to try to reinforce that point. It's like, I'll go there, but it has to have tangible results. And I was challenged with a gratitude journal that I just didn't, I personally, I think it's a wonderful, I think gratitude is an incredible value and mindset shift. But for me, I was challenged by, I didn't stick with it. Every time I tried a jet gratitude journal, I didn't stick with it because I'm pretty grateful for everything. I innately have a grateful attitude on life. So it was just too big and too broad. So I was looking for something more tangible. And I created this idea of the what's going right journal. And I created it at a time when it would appear to, I don't know how it appeared to others. I don't really care. It appeared to myself that everything was going wrong. You know, I had recently moved to Miami. I had, I thought I had more time before I kind of pulled back in my photography to only realize that, no, my photography career went off the cliff much quicker than I thought. Once I moved away from Manhattan, a broken relationship. So a lot of things had compounded that there wasn't, didn't feel like a lot was going right. And I figured the only way to correct that is to use what I know to be true, which I think many of us do, is that what you focus on, you get more of. So I said, well, knowing that power that what we focus on, we get more of. What if I focus more on what's going right? I don't see it. It might be few and far between, but damn it, I'm going to find it. So I started journaling what's going right. And it was actually so difficult for me. I had to do it in the beginning. It's a two-step process. So first I would get up in the morning, have my chai tea, do some reading, and I would sit down and I would try to journal. And I would be hard pressed to come up with anything that was going right. I would come up with a couple things. And then I'd add a frustration. I'd look, okay, this is, I'd hit it. I hit a wall. So then I would 
get my dogs on their leashes and I'd go for a good 45 minute walk on the beach. And while I was walking my dogs, things started coming. Oh, well, that's going right. Oh, I forgot about that person that reached out to lend their support. Oh my gosh, I forgot about the new client I got yesterday. So then I'd come home and I'd finish up the journal. Uh, so there was this pause of self-reflection. Right. Right. And walking, because that's a power tool too. Yeah. But the challenge was trying to force to see what's going right was challenging. When I let go of that, the awareness of what's going right came in. Now I can sit down and on demand name what's going right. Right. So you train yourself into the practice because I've been doing it for so many years. But the magic of it is that when you focus more on what's going right, you will see more of what's going right. And it's not just woo woo, that's science as well. We are, as humans, born to be aware of our threats. We're born, our brains are wired for survival. This is retraining the brain to not see the threats, the competition, the feelings of comparison to others on Facebook. It's retraining all that nonsense to seeing what's going right. And it starts getting so evident. Like every day of my life, it's like I can find the smallest and the biggest of things that's going right. Hands down, best practice. I agree with you. I I, I heard you talk about it before and I adopted it then and then I read it again and I realized just hearing it that one time so for all you listeners out there this is could be a life-changing thing for you it is such a powerful easy thing to do to change your perspective and what you're looking at and it's a way to celebrate this noticing of good things is inherently a celebration of what's going right too so we don't often do that enough as self-employed people we're feeling like we need to be everything to everybody and everywhere all at the same time and sometimes what's going right is your effort. You know, I actually posted something in my Facebook group yesterday to acknowledge your efforts, not just your achievements. Oh, I love that. Right. Yeah. Because so what's going right is the effort you're putting in. You know, I sometimes will acknowledge the effort I'm putting into doing my what's going right journal, <laughs> you know, right. It's just such a great practice to just acknowledge the efforts as well as the evidence. Right. So it's both. Well, this just put into my mind, I've started a, an online community on Facebook recently, and I am celebrating the fact that I show up there every day. And this is something, and you talk about consistency in your book, you know, that showing up, that ability to be present for that thing you're committing to. And this is the first time I've finally, finally figured it out what I want to show up for. And I get to look forward to this thing. So, and you know, it's early days yet. I think we're at 145 members. So it's in its infancy, but I'm so on fire for it and excited about it. And it's, it's like all of a sudden I've got a little plant and I've got to nurture it and I've got to care for it. And it's just, but this, what's going right is what am I doing in this space to kind of attract people to it? And what's also interesting is, so I've really integrated things recently by taking a big mission and marrying it with my business objectives. So even this awareness piece is a big win for me. If I get the, you know, working with a highly sensitive population, that's what it's about. If I get some awareness out there, that's a win. So I'm celebrating not just the end financial goal that I'm hoping this will contribute to, but also this, you know, mission piece, the why, which is also something you talk about, and you know, being value aligned in what you're doing in your business and having your business reflect your values as our friend Brent uh, Menswar talks about in Black Sheep, you know, which is also a big part of what shaped you in getting to this place, right? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, I think that when you start to realize when you're acknowledging what's going right is that 99% of what's going right have to do with other people. 
And that to me starts, it just, you feel like you're in a more loving world. Somebody, you know, a speaker friend of ours, I'll leave names out of it, but a mutual speaker friend of ours, and I'm not leaving a name out because it's a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing, but I, I was kind of caught up in a little bit of a firestorm on Facebook recently and she saw it and she just like dropped in messenger. She just like dropped this picture of a puppy. She goes, I think you need a puppy today. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you can be assured she was on my what's going right journal the next day. I'm like, how cool is that? Like she saw this conversation going on from afar and she just dropped, it was a picture of her and a puppy. She was visiting a friend who had a puppy and she says, I think you could use a picture of a puppy today. And there she is holding this puppy. You know, I mean, that's what's going right. And if when you, like I said, 99% of the time, but it involves the way people show up in our lives. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see what's going right. I love that. That's a beautiful moment and definitely to celebrate it. I also like something you talked about in the book, how we might see a version of ourselves, but if we're listening to how other people see us, that sense that other people might see more for us than we can even see for ourselves. So I joined you my very first time in Clubhouse. And I know I talked way too much in that. I have to figure out this format. I was just like, ah, how do it's I get a crazy, and stick it It's in? a crazy format. So. But you introduced me to the group as a productivity and well-being expert. And no one had called me that before. But you are the reason that because you see me that way and it's a big it's one third of what i talk about i had just never named it it's now part of the description of the group that i've created it's about productivity and well-being oh, so that so was cool. i always you. thought you were just a well-being expert like to me that's how you show up in the world but to your point i mean that's actually the premise of my tedx talk the tedx talk is about just that it's the entire premise of it is that it's this interplay between expectations and how other people see us because expectations by definition is a predetermined outcome. So I don't care how much you expect, I don't care how little or how much you expect of yourself or how much you think you're going to go beyond your, your expectations. Expectations by definition is a predetermined outcome. So you have already, no matter how big you think you're going to be, you've predetermined what you think you're capable of. The only way to break that, the only way to be bigger in our lives than we could possibly imagine is to trust that what other people see in us may be true and to believe them. I've sat back for years and watched countless award shows, whether it's the Oscars or the Grammys or, you know, sports awards. And I've just sat back to watch repeatedly when people receive accolades for their accomplishment, they acknowledge that somebody else saw more in them than they saw themselves. It may have been a coach. It may have been their peers. And, you know, I actually joke in my TEDx talk, because I kind of looped it around to my own coming out story. Because the first thing I say when I come out on the stage is it's like, you know, we all have clauses to come out of. And I use that framework to talk about how there's more in all of us than we see in ourselves. But I also, I loop that around by saying, well, just think about how often somebody comes out as gay and everybody else around them says, oh yeah, I knew that all along. I was just waiting for you to figure it out. That was my experience. I was like, when I came out at 44 years old, I'm like, why didn't you all tell me? It's like, you all could see it. Like it was so obvious they were like, you didn't see that your, your deep passion for Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland and all the, you didn't see all the things. I'm like, no, <laughs> how did you all see all the stereotypes? <laughs> but that's, you know, but you think of how often does that happen, right? Somebody comes out in some way or another in themselves and you're like, yeah, I've seen that in you all along. Hmm. There's a beauty, a beauty it's and a sadness beautiful. in it, right? Well said, Claire, because there is a beauty and a sadness to it. I, I lean into the beauty of it. Like I lean into the fact of how beautiful it is, but you're right. It's sad because sometimes the journey takes a lot longer than 
to see that in ourselves than maybe we would have liked. That's true. That's true. I want to touch on one other point related to the, the self-employed ecosystem, especially since we're talking to organizing and productivity experts out there. You talk about space switching as a way to kind of fuel your energy and focus during the day. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I, I found it. I loved it. It is definitely, it's like my number one efficiency and productivity tip or tactic. I wouldn't even say it's a tip because sometimes tips can People don't take tips in. Like, no, this is a tactic. Yeah, pay strategy. attention. This is a, this right. absolutely. Actually do this because it works. It's because not it's a not, hack, people. It's not no. a hack. <laughs> it's an answer to a couple things. One, it's an answer to the fact that when we're self-employed, we have to wear a thousand hats. Okay. So it's an answer to that. It's also, to me, the most important part of the strategy of, of space switching is I am constantly encouraging people that I work with, self-employed business owners, creative thinkers, because I think the two go hand in hand. You don't have to be in a creative business, but you are by nature a creative thinker if you chose to be self-employed because you, you're going to be creatively solving a lot of problems. And you know, we are the folks that the world has been telling us to focus, to sit still, stop getting distracted. We're the folks that you know, we go into business. People said, you can only be successful if you pick a niche. And everything about that is against our nature. And I feel like we are the ones that see more and feel more and the world needs more of us. So I have been a, an advocate and a proponent for leveraging that best in people. And space switching oddly does that because my feeling is, hey, guess what? You're going to chase squirrels. Hey, guess what? You're going to multitask. That is who you are. It's beautiful. Don't change it. How can we leverage it? So what I've learned to do is set up various Again, everything in my world is about environment. Set up the environment for the results you want. So what I do is I set up seven, I personally have seven environments in my apartment. And this does not require a lot of space. Larry, you've actually been to my home. It's not a massive apartment by any stretch. So this is doable for anybody, but it's, I have seven environments. Each environment has a specific task that I do in that environment. Task switching costs a lot of efficiency because when we task switch, our brain has to go down and come back up to the new task, okay? But when you space switch, you're tripping the brain to get immediately into the task of that space. So I have a creative space, which for me is, it's, you know, we're just talking about standing versus sitting. I pretty much stand all day, except when I write. So my creative space is a sitting space out on my terrace, looking out at the ocean. It's not horrible. It's that's not what, horrible. It's not horrible. <laughs> it's so but not then, horrible. But that's where I wrote the entire book. That's my creative and writing space. And then I have a, what I call my work alone space, which is my favorite space. And it's a stand-up desk that's suction cupped to a floor to ceiling window looking out of the ocean. That's my work alone space. What that means is I can play music on the stereo. I'm returning emails. I'm not going to be on video. I could be, but it's my living room. I want to keep that private. So that's where I do emails and all that sort of stuff. I also, I look at a lot of people's websites and I do client work behind the scenes, client work there. And then I have my podcast, but I call my, my call space. And that is where I do podcasting. That's where I do podcast interviews, both as the host and guest where I am right now. This is, it's my zoom call space. So when I'm doing zoom calls with clients right here, just to my left is my admin space. Literally like I'm it's right here. It's the same desk. So I have a stand-up desk on half the desk, the other, and that's my admin desk. There I sit. That's where I pay bills, pay taxes, do the things that none of us enjoy doing, except I have a Buddha there. I have a cast iron, open arms, open hands. I have a candle I always burn because when I'm paying bills, I burn candles. And I have a picture of my kids because that reminds me of what my life is about and what I'm working for. Even though they're all financially independent, I'm still working for them in my own way because 
you know, we spent so much of our lives, them trying to make me proud. Now I live to make my kids proud. <laughs> right. That's so beautiful. I keep, I keep yeah. them there to try to honor that and try to make them proud. So, and then I ha- I go to a shared workspace and I want to point out the importance of that. Like I happen to belong to a WeWork shared space, which is in my neighborhood, but it has actually been proven that the noise level at a typical coffee shop is at the exact decibel level that increases productivity in the brain. It's loud enough to be like white noise, but not so loud that you can discern individual words and you actually can be more productive in a shared workspace. It's fascinating that because as a highly sensitive person looking at that, I mean, I would go to a library at university, I would promptly fall asleep. There wasn't enough stimulation and I would get the sniffles. Like you're supposed to be quiet and all of a sudden I'd be like my nose oh, is that's when you have to sneeze. Like, oh my God, right? It was <laughs> yes. awful. And I would fall asleep. I'm like, how yeah. do people work here? There wasn't enough stimulation. Correct. And quickly, if I'm in a coffee shop and they're grinding beans constantly, I might find it too much noise. Yeah. So really, you know, paying attention to the stimulation, the level of stimulation that you need from an oral point of view, from a visual point of view. I love your sensual perspective to shaping the space by adding scent in, for example. And I'm very very driven by scent. And I think that's part of it, knowing what you're driven by, right? I'm very driven by scent, which I've always joked because I, I've always been well endowed in the nose nasal capacity. And my grandmother used to tell me, don't worry, you'll grow into it. Who is <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother's Portuguese, by the way, not Jewish, although that sounded completely you know, not Portuguese, but my grandmother was Portuguese, but in her Portuguese accent, she would say, don't worry, you'll grow into it. And in some, to some degree I did, but I'm very driven by scent. Like scents can really change my mood. I burn a candle every night. I I have a favorite candle company that I'm ridiculously passionate about. And I burn a candle every night as I, it's Rob and I sit and watch TV or what have you. And so I'm very driven by scent. So I will alter my mood and alter my environment by scent. So you're very influenced by color, you know, and and that's your thing. So your space would need to involve that. Uh, Space switching is a, Talk about, you know, again, since efficiency and productivity is what your audience is looking for. I think, honestly, space switching is incredibly efficient. You move to a, another space and boom, your brain is in gear. Yeah, absolutely. It's triggers and yeah. your brain responds to those triggers. So you can speed up your flow into that new Correct. task. Right? And it, like I said, it allows you to be who you are. It allows you to, to need to be driven to, by change and to know that it's okay to be that person. Embrace it and make the best of it. Well, taking that word embrace, I'm going to segue right into the next thing I want to talk about, which is taking the bullseye off your customer's face and instead thinking about your concept called hug marketing. So, I mean, I felt that and I just felt this tension leave my body. And what came to me was this feeling of being a magnet. And I've got this magnet and I'm going to, you know, magnets attract some Mm-hmm. things and repel, and repel others, others. Mm-hmm. right? I would like, since you're here to explain your concept of hug marketing, because I think it's so beautiful. And it just made me feel really excited about marketing in a way I haven't felt after 15 Correct. years of marketing before I became an entrepreneur. So yeah, it's, and that's, it the, that's the point behind it. It's a huge energy shift. And often our energy is shifted by words. And you're going to have a guy who, who wrote a book called Lingo. I'm obviously really picky about words, one word at a time, and I'm going to be really picky about it. And there's, I would say the majority of marketing words are horrible, horrible energy. If you talk about your customers as a target audience, guess what? They're going to feel the energy of being targeted. If you refer to, you can't, the word marketing is always followed by marketing to or marketing at, 
right? And so in my business, we use the, we've replaced marketing with enrolling. I don't look at my my job as marketing to people. In fact, I don't have a marketing plan. If you were to look at my notes of my business and our mission, you won't see a marketing plan. You'll see enrolling plan. Like, what is our plan to enroll clients? It's not what is my plan to market to people. And funnel, marketing funnel has been one of my biggest pets. Exactly. It, it makes you want to vomit. For those of us that are, and here's the difference. Am I going to say a marketing funnel is gross for everybody? No, because if that's who you are, that's what your business is. If that's typical business. But for those that are self-employed and are in relationship-based businesses and tend to be driven by our heart or purpose, and you know that's how we're driven, we want to vomit. We think funnel. And I just look at not only the word, the visual of it. So what does a funnel look like? It looks like, and energetically, it's as if you're open-hearted and open-minded at the top and welcoming and only to squeeze people as they get closer to you through a small it's hole. It's like a messy birth. It's, <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> I should say, oh, I just energetically, it always felt horrible to me. So I wanted to change it. I came up with this concept of hug marketing, which instead of a funnel, hug marketing as a framework looks like a series of concentric circles. And this immediately energetically shifts your mind into these concentric circles, the center circle being surrounded by all the others. That center is the hug, as a hug is. It's a surrounding. I also love the way it shifts the burden of responsibility and self-employed business owners. Cause as, as much as, you know, I'm an advocate for self-employed business owners and, and, you know, I'm all in for them, but I'll also have no problem whipping in the shape sometimes. And I, and this is an area I will, it's like, I have little tolerance for excuses such as, oh, the economy is bad. Or it's like, all that may be true. The economy might be bad. The market may have shifted. There may have been a global pandemic. My point is, is it doing you any good? to focus on that? No. Right. So what I like about hug marketing is it shifts the burden of responsibility to look at your business, both emotionally and logically. If you imagine these series of concentric circles and the outermost circle, for example, are, I refer to them as lurkers. Those are people that are watching what you're doing. They're your podcast listeners, Claire, that you don't know by name right now but you're building an audience of lurkers. You're building an audience of people that are following you and watching you. They're not just following you, they're watching you, they're lurking. So the next inner circle is curious. So my question from a practical standpoint is what are you doing to inspire a lurker to become curious, right? So it ups the game as far as your content development, what you're putting out there, that you're putting out content that they might notice from afar, but now they're curious about it. And then can you take them from curious to engage? Like, well, how are you, what are you providing to actually, now you're getting them so curious, they're engaging in your content. They're posting on your post, they're commenting. And then we take them and connect it. How do we get them connected, fully connected? Connecting is a big, big stage because usually it requires maybe surrendering of an email. Maybe they've opted into your list. It's literally to go from engaged to connected from the customer's perspective, they are to some degree handing over to control. They are saying, I have enough of a relationship of trust with you that I'm gonna hand over my email and trust that you're going to handle it and me gently and kindly because you're now, they're now welcoming a two-way conversation where before it was kind of only a monologue coming from them to you. And then of course, from connected, you wanna turn them to customers, but we're not done there. And that's where most businesses are in. You then want to focus on how do you turn your customers into hug customers? And those are the customers that you can't imagine seeing in person when you wouldn't hug them. Like you've built that level of loyalty. Right, and that level of appreciation. Appreciation, loyalty. I mean, I really, I'm just now starting to give keynotes and presentations on the book. And 
And in working that out, I, as an example of that hug experience, I explained because it has stuck, struck to me as I was building out my keynote that every child I've ever photographed for 36 years of being a photographer, every child calls me Jeffrey Shaw. One word, Jeffrey Shaw. And it, they say it so fast. Every child, Claire, like every Jeffrey Shaw. When I pull in the driveway, they come running out of the board. Jeffrey Shaw is here. Jeffrey Shaw is here. When I'm photographed, they're like, Jeffrey Shaw, do you want me to stand over here? Jeffrey Shaw, should I do this? And I have no idea why. Like every child calls me by my whole name. Parents laugh at it. They sometimes start joking, calling me Jeffrey Shaw. For some reason, it's easier for kids to say Jeffrey Shaw. It's like a flow. And it's it's the kids that call me that. You have no idea how endearing that is. Like they, those are the very same kids I hug when I see them. With their permission, <laughs> I will always hug them when I see them. And that's a hug client, whether it's the kids or the adults. You know, Because if I'm that way with the kids, that's the way I am with the adults as well. But that's a sign. It's like I've gotten in their hearts. I've gotten in their place in life where they're calling me Jeffrey Shaw. That's cute. I think I nearly called you Jeffrey Shaw. <laughs> well, that's because you've got like, the spirit of a child, I guess. <laughs> oh, maybe more than that. But yeah, that's beautiful. I have, because I have the privilege and honor and I'm blessed to be speaking with you directly. Of course, I have to ask you a personal business question in here. And it ties to something you're very passionate about. And it also ties to something I've just feel like I've done, which is counter to what your advice is. So you say ditch the niche. And I was reading that going, oh, but I've just decided I want to work with highly sensitive professionals. Have I done something wrong in this time where because of the internet and you know the way our world works, you can be found for doing something small. I'd love you to expand on that point and what you mean by ditch the niche. What, yep. what do you mean? It's so important. So we need to ditch the old definition of niche, right? Because what we've been told is that we need to pick one thing for one audience or just one thing or one audience. And my point is, is that no, the niche actually is your area of expertise. Your niche is what resides within you for which there are multiple audiences and multiple ways of executing it. So no, you haven't done the wrong thing. You've done the right thing. You've dropped into the area, the space in the world that you have a particular skill set, passion, instinct, awareness, empathy, all those words. Like that's your space that you thrive in, which is taking care of the world of highly sensitive people for which there are multiple audiences and multiple ways that you can get that message out there. And I'll, I'll give you a, a practical awareness of that that just came to me is that I'm in the process of launching a whole new YouTube channel. I'm stripping down what's there and I'm putting up a whole new channel that's going to be highly organized because it dry, I am a complete neat freak and I don't like that it's just been a kind of a repository. You know, everybody here just is sending you hearts right now that's listening, right? We're just <laughs> yeah, like, so get me I'm some more getting that really, giving that really organized. Why are you creating a new channel? You wanted to, to, to refine what was there and serve it yeah, up? Yeah, I do. And I, I also want to, again, I guess it's because kind of like I want to own my space, right? My space is in that of self-employment. So I want to make sure everything that's there applies to them. Whether, like I said, it's multiple audiences available in different, you know, this it's my area of expertise, but for which there are multiple audiences. And it's just, to me, it's just another way I can deliver that. And it's a kindness. It's a kindness to your audience to be curating this. So my, my podcast recording platform, I don't use Zoom. I use another one that has video, but they, 
used to not be able to record it. Now you can record the video. So I had this idea. It's like, oh, well, maybe I can capture a YouTube audience by capturing the video as you do, the video from the podcast and move it to YouTube. So I've, I've, I'm working with a YouTube coach and I brought this to his attention. And, and I honestly, I'm looking, I'm thinking, my interviews are like 40, 45 minutes long. Like who's going to sit there and watch two people have a conversation for 40 minutes. I'm thinking this isn't appealing to anybody, but I started asking other people. One of the people I asked was my daughter, my youngest daughter who has had various issues with anxiety in her life. But I asked her cause she's younger. It's like, you know, she's a Gen Z actually. I said, how do you listen to podcasts? She goes, she goes, Oh, I only watch podcasts on YouTube. It's like, why? She goes, because I'm highly, you know, she goes, you know about my anxiety. She goes, I'm highly sensitive. She goes, I find it very unsettling to just listen to somebody, people talking in my ears. I need to see their faces. I need to see the expressions. And I, I was so curious about that. I opened it up to a larger group of people and found out there are, there are a lot of people that are highly sensitive and actually need to see the facial gestures in order to absorb the content and be comfortable with the conversation. That's fascinating to right? learn, which is, I'm thrilled that you're sharing that because it's instinctive to me to say, you know, there's certain information I like to take in, in different ways. And if I'm recording and video anyway, then of let me serve the audience. Right? But that's the point, Claire. Of yeah. course it's, it's natural to you. For me, it was so foreign to me. Like I just don't have that sensitivity. I don't have that. The people you cater to. Um, unfortunately I'm not your ideal customer, right? Because that's, I don't have those highly sensitive, high sensitivities, but that's my point. There's a world of people that do. And here is one of my core principles in business that I'll, I'll leave with you. And, and I think it's so important to consider is that I truly, this is my task as a small business coach. I truly believe there's a world of people waiting for you to show up. Okay. There's a world of people waiting for everyone listening to this. There's a world of people waiting for you to show up. The key is that you need to drop further into who you are so they know who you are. You need to have a brand message that communicates who you are so that they can find you. You need to put yourself out there bravely, even against your own comfort, because we only step out of what's uncomfortable. We step out of our comfort zone when the impact we want to create is bigger than our fears. You drop into all of that. And you will be shocked. That is creating the environment for the results you want. Because if you drop into all that, you'll be shocked at how easy it is for the people you're meant to serve to show up. It happens with ease because there's a world of people out there waiting for you to show up. I'm giving a beat there, a pause, because that is so profound and beautiful. It's so powerful. And I want to say, I mean, I just started this group about a month ago and decided to commit to serving this niche that I really, really relate to because I'm part of it. And all of a sudden I'm finding conversations I'm dying to be part of are showing up the connections and everything, you know, it's like priming what you said, you're creating the environment for the business that you want. And I'm finding it in spades without feeling like I'm having to do anything uncomfortable whatsoever. The first step was uncomfortable. It was like, shall I do this? Shall I place a bet? on this, but wow, is it ever unfolding? Jeffrey, this has been such, Jeffrey Shaw, Jeffrey Shaw, this has been a very <laughs> rich- It sticks, doesn't it? You can't unhear it now. <laughs> no, it, do, it does roll together, Jeffrey Shaw. It's been such a rich conversation. I'm glad we got to touch on both the practical 
tactical side of things. It's a really tremendous marketing book. And like I said, it's this very also spiritual guide to set you up with the right mindset and help you get in touch with yourself, celebrate those wins, the what's going right journal to really construct the business that you're going to be able to embrace and dance with for a long, long time, because it's going to be so authentically you, it's going to bring you a lot of success. Yeah, well, that because that, that is the self-employed life. I just want to reiterate, and that's why I wrote this book, right? There's 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 business books and there's self-help books. I'm like, but you know, it's interesting as a being a self-employed, how we're so often accused of running all over the place, but everything is scattered for us. And when you're self-employed, it is an integration of our personal lives and our business lives and our the marketing we need and the self-help that we need and the personal development we need and the habits we need. And no one has ever brought it together until now. Like this book includes all of that because it's, it is literally, because I've done the research, it's the only book that is all-inclusive of what it actually feels like to be self-employed with the marketing strategies, the personal development, and the habits and mindsets that you need. Exactly that. You summed it up beautifully. I encourage everyone to check it out. It's available in May of 2021. May, mm -hmm. May it's available now for pre-order, but it goes yeah. uh, launches May 4th. Yeah. May the 4th be with you with, <laughs> with, this, with the strength of this book. So thank you, Jeffrey, for joining us. To all the listeners out there, I hope you've really taken some gems away with you from this rich discussion. You can find more episodes as always at napopodcast.com. And don't forget to check out the YouTube playlist on the Napo site. You can find bonus content for every episode that I've been recording lately. We are doing a bonus question over on YouTube. You can also see the space that Jeffrey's in right now to understand where he's working to do his podcast and just what that looks like. So I hope you'll tune in again soon till the next episode. Do stay safe, be kind, and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.